Are you a retired athlete feeling lost, missing your team, missing the sense of structure? Are you a business guy stuck at a stage in your career where you're wondering what's next? Are you looking for a sense of community? This is the place for you. Hi, I'm Keith Billis, and this is Live in the Lab. All right. A little bit of weirdness in front of the camera there for anybody who's watching. So I'm like, hey, where's the button? Where's the button? I can't get it going. How did you go viral on TikTok? You were on America's Got Talent. How much did you get paid to be on AGT? Oh, you didn't get paid. Keith and Steve here in Live in the Lab. You're a great interviewer. I love it. 48 miles, 48 hours. Not just once. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I hit 50 last time, and I'm like, yeah, things are a little different than they were 10 years ago. So trust me, things are the key. You have no time for the BS that much yeah. of society seems to put on the table. Why is that? What you're talking about is real right now. There's just no bullshit here, but it's just real. I've never talked to a sir before. Why are you a sir? In many ways, we're the same story. I came from nothing. You came from nothing. I think the old saying goes that if you want a trophy, you climb Everest. If you want respect, you climb K2. I've built an AI myself, and it's pretty fascinating when you can have a conversation with yourself with your own knowledge. Have you done that before? Why are we rushing to make these tools if they're all they're going to do is hurt humanity? Does the world need an Oppenheimer moment with AI? What a fun show. Hey, everybody. You got Keith Billis here. I'm live in the lab, bringing us in 10 horses. 10 horses, you're thinking. Yeah, 10 horses. I'm going to tell you why in a few moments about 10 horses. But first of all, who am I? I'm Keith Billis. And I'm a business athlete. Before that, before I was this accomplished entrepreneur, I had a secret. I did. I had a secret. I looked all successful, came across all successful, created this successful image on the outside. But truthfully and honestly, on the inside, I was drowning. I was drowning in fatigue, stress, and the realization that my body was failing me. It was giving up. It was not going in the right direction, as we like to call it here in the lab. Workaholic. That's what I would call it. None of that work-life balance stuff that we talk about, we praise, we pay much attention to. I was desperate. I was desperate for change. So what did I do? I did something. I set out on a transformative journey where I discovered that professional and personal success is driven by athletic performance. And I found that down the road, whatever it was, 10, 12 years ago, I discovered that if you want to excel in life, you need to take care of your body first. You need to go look in the mirror, take care of your machine, take care of yourself, your mind first, your heart, your emotional self, your physical self, your strength, your endurance self. It's frankly non-negotiable. In the lab, it is non-negotiable. Now here in the lab, here in the business athlete performance lab, we want to inspire you, the retired athlete, the business guy stuck, the same guy I was. Heck, we want to inspire you to create sustainable change in your professional and personal life. Now, in the lab, you'll meet business athletes from all walks of life who have cracked the code to success. And we meet them here every single day, daily, noon, central time, minus five GMT, live in the lab with myself. These business athletes who prioritize their self-care every single day to move themselves, to move their businesses forward. So I invite you to get ready, to be motivated, empowered, and equipped to be equipped to transform your life. That's what's gonna happen. You keep listening, keep paying attention, not just to me, but to our guests, to the business athletes that make their way through the lab. Coming up today's show, we have truly a business athlete, not one who you typically would associate, I think, as a business athlete. 
But somebody who is a serial entrepreneur, a bilingual content creator, and a lifelong equestrian hailing from New Orleans, somebody who realized that horses and equestrian made her a better business person. Why don't we take a moment to introduce Lexi Hartman from New Orleans, where Lexi resides with her husband and two young girls. And today we're going to get into her story of being a business athlete. Lexi, welcome. Hey, Keith, how are you? Thank you so much. Great to be here. I'm happy to have you here. I, and I'm extremely happy today to have you here because it's something you shared with me yesterday. You shared a LinkedIn, frankly, and it was uh, your story that I'm going to talk about. But why I'm excited about it today is I look at my weather app today and Lexi, you're down in New Orleans. I'm up here in Canada. And winter's arriving this week. It sure is up there. Yeah, we would take a little bit of that cold weather here, though, honestly. We're, I feel a little bit cheated out of fall right now. We're in the 80s. So we're going to head down. So we are in the, I think, the 50s right now, 50s, yeah, 50s, 60s. And I wake up this morning to an alert on my phone telling me that heavy amounts of snow will be here. And the, the message was essentially, we're moving from fall very rapidly to winter. Uh, and so it's Monday today. And in the life of an entrepreneur, I like to joke with my guests that whether it's Monday or Friday or Sunday, it's all the same day for us. Very true. <laughs> but apparently by Friday, Alexi, there's going to be full on ass snow here in Manitoba, Canada. Oh. Yes. Yes. So you, you drove uh, from New Orleans. Yes. Just north of New Orleans. Yep. We're on what we call the North Shore. So it's just across the big lake and that really long bridge that we're famous for down here. So yep. Up in Covington, Louisiana, just north of New Orleans. Uh, lifelong raised by entrepreneur parents, apparently. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Serial entrepreneurs as well. Tell me about that. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing that really shaped how I see the world and obviously how I run my business and, and how I just view business in general. Both of my parents are serial entrepreneurs and I've seen them just throughout the course of my life running and launching different initiatives. Some went really well, others didn't. So I think in particular, it gave me a sense of how necessary it is to have resilience in this kind of thing. So very interesting watching them go through it and, and including working with them in some of their businesses as well. So I've really uh, grown up alongside that. And I just knew from an early age that that's what I wanted for myself. I wanted to work for myself. I asked you that, and it's interesting to hear you say that I wanted to work for myself, our audience, retired athletes, business guys that are stuck, that are at, the, at this stage in their career where they're like, I'm not sure what to do next. Entrepreneurs wondering what's going to happen next. And I'm saying these things because being raised by serial entrepreneurs, you have seen much failure in your life. Yes, that's inevitable. It's an inevitable part of it. What did you learn from all that as a young child growing up? And I asked that because I wonder what my kids sometimes think of watching their dad go through the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think there's, a, there's, like I said, resilience is a huge part of it. And I like to look at things from the positive side. Yes, there were times that were scary or challenging or difficult. But I think what I've seen gave me a lot of confidence to take this leap into my own entrepreneurial journey, so to speak, because I know that you don't just have one shot. There's always another chance for the most part. And it also reframes the idea of failure in a way because you learn something every single time. I know that's super cliche, but it is absolutely true. And especially in business, you take a little bit of knowledge from that supposed failure each time and you apply that in the next thing that you attempt. And that's something that 
I think can benefit you outside of business as well, just in life. So I think I, I would take those, I would take the failures that I, I saw growing up just as much as I would take the successes, to be honest. And did you know as a young child growing up that this was going to be your path being an entrepreneur? I think so. Yeah. I remember that there, there was this time for a while. I wanted to be a vet when I was really little. I wanted to do something with horses. I wanted to be an Olympic, Olympic equestrian, which did not happen. But as I think I got a little bit older as a teenager, that's when this really started to, to take shape. I joke that I've never had a hobby that I didn't try to turn into a business. So it just, it just comes naturally to me. There's, I, I literally have never had a hobby that I can't, that I didn't try to turn into a business or monetize in some way. I love the theme of hobbies, Lexi, because I've talked with Anthony Franco. I talked with Sardar, a couple of other, Steve, Captain Hoffman. And this theme of it, is it, Lexi, is it a hobby or in 2023, is it a hustle, right? Like my kids, <laughs> when I say to them a hobby, they look at me like hobby. Is that, is that an what is that? term, dad? Right, right. Where a hustle is I'm making money. So I'm monetizing my hobby. Is that really what it is, Lexi? I think so. Yeah, that's how the whole, I taught salsa dancing for the longest time. I ran a website directory for salsa dancing in Charlotte, North Carolina and all that. So it's just one of those things that I think it's really prevalent in this current generation. My kids, for example, my, my oldest is eight. And the way she talks about the things that she's interested in, like playing Minecraft, she's never just about doing the thing and enjoying it, which, you know, it's a shame. Like you want people to be able to just unplug and do the thing and enjoy it. She's always, she always has a bigger vision for it, you know? And I think that I've been like that my whole life. I always think beyond the hobby. I don't know that I would call it a hustle either. I'm, I, I don't, I don't love that term. I know we love to use that term these days, but to me, hustle implies something that you don't necessarily enjoy or that you're having to really struggle through. And I think that the process of entrepreneurship can be enjoyable and the process of monetizing a hobby or something like that can also be enjoyable and doesn't necessarily have to be a struggle. Thank you for correcting that interpretation of hustle. Cause I agree with you. I, I hate the term grind in the gym. You should be grateful to be in the gym, to work your machine, to work your temple, to take care of yourself, to give your human a chance to live another day longer, to say you're have a body that can support that. And to, yeah, it's a privilege, right? It is a privilege. So to say it's a grind, I think is misguided. And I agree with you to say that it's hustle, I think is misguided because like you hustle to me seems negative. Yeah, but in sport, though, in sport, Lexi, hustle would be considered perhaps positive, right? While Keith hustles all the time, he's always working, he's always going. It's just, it's a, I guess it's a term that can be somewhat misguided. We have a culture that, that really does praise this concept of hustling and grinding. And there's this perception that unless you're struggling, unless you're shedding blood, sweat and tears for something, you're not doing it hard enough. And I think that especially my generation, we really took that to heart. And so there's this tendency to just expect the hard, expect it to be difficult. And it doesn't really have to be that way. And that's a learning process. You, you have to unlearn that interpretation of those words, hustle and grind, I think. But it's something that I think the younger generations are doing really well. I think they're, that they're much more aware of the valve care and looking out for themselves and their well-being and understanding how closely that equates to success that sometimes the less you work, the more successful you can actually be <laughs> because you're, you're, you have more of yourself to give. Again, thank you for saying that. Lexi Hartman, just full of quotes here today in the lab, which is awesome because I, again, could not agree more with you there. And it just, it is bizarre to me 
in, in this day and age where there's this demand to come to the office, there's this demand for monitoring people's time, managing their time, managing what they're doing, not talking about the results. It's just a bizarre, there's this conundrum right now, it seems, where there's, there's this mission of management where it's structured, it's old school, it's left in yesterday, and then there's this generation of workforce that's, no, let us focus on the results and uh, we'll deliver yeah. results for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's behind a lot of the upheaval that we're seeing in just the job market and people mass quitting or all of the, this, the issues that we've had really since the pandemic. People are just reevaluating where they are in their lives and what they want from their lives. And they're as, as difficult as it's been for so many people, it's also been really empowering. And my own business was born from that, that same situation, basically the onset of the pandemic and how it, it gave us a way to reset as horrible as it was. It did give a lot of us a way to redefine our path. Resetting and redefining is a courageous thing to do for many people that are yes. stuck, that are wondering, again, I, maybe I've just retired from sport and I'm still part of being a team and, I'm, and now I'm thrust into this world of, okay, so what do I do next? Or I'm an entrepreneur or a business guy and I'm like, I don't really like what I'm doing right now. I'm stuck here. Yeah. You were forced, you said, Lexi, by the pandemic to make some choices. Yes. Talk yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah. Prior to the onset of the pandemic, I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was working for a large SEO agency over there as the head of marketing. Absolutely loved it. Was there for several years. But we had started to consider making a change moving over to the New Orleans area to be closer to family, mm -hmm. to my family specifically, my father and my stepmother, my brother, they're all here. And my mother's a little bit closer to this area as well. So we made that change and we actually arrived or I arrived the, the second weekend of Mardi Gras, which was the weekend that New Orleans became the COVID hotspot. We didn't know anything about COVID at the time. And so it was a very challenging time to arrive. My husband arrived two weeks later and he's an infectious diseases physician. He was thrust into the really what was the epicenter of COVID at the time. Mm -hmm. And there was so much fear around that. And then my two young kids, schools getting shut down, lockdown happening. And at the same time, I'm trying to maintain the same level of the same work ethic and level of dedication that I had previously had to my position with two little kids in a new state, in a tiny little apartment, going crazy because they can't go outside and do things. And it just became not possible and not sustainable. In the end, the company that I was with, there were layoffs. And so I was one of the ones that was laid off at the time. And I remember that moment, while it was sad because I, I adore that company, I'm still very connected to everybody there. I also felt a sense of relief. Okay, this wasn't working. Now this is going to force me to make those decisions that I've, I know in my heart I've been putting off for a long time. And that's exactly what happened. I was very privileged in the sense that my husband was able to encourage me to take two months to just sit with it and figure out what it is that I wanted to do. If I wanted to move forward with working for another company, or if now was the time to go ahead and launch iHeart content, which is what happened ultimately. Lexi, talk about the support that is often not discussed of our partners, when we decide to make that courageous decision of, okay, honey, okay, partner, okay, husband, okay, wife, okay, significant other, are we going to do this together? Because it is together. It's not just Lexi on her own. It's you, you need the whole team and then it's sitting down with the kids. 
and having the conversation that maybe there's going to be a little less here, a little less there because mom's starting a business. Talk about the support of your family and the support of your, all of those around you to help you be successful as an entrepreneur. I'm really privileged in the sense that I never felt that I had to explain a whole lot to anyone. I think my husband, who I've been with for almost 17 years now, he's he was expecting that day to come. <laughs> I had some little side hustles, as we call them, going on while I was employed. And he's known for a long time that was inevitable at some point. And we had talked about it before, but I think that support is really critical and too often people don't have it. And so I think we need to recognize that not everyone's going to have the support at home or the support of their families or friends. They may feel like they're going to be laughed at or they're they're going to be told that, oh, you won't be able to make this work. So there can be a lot of negativity around that kind of transition. I was privileged in the sense that I did not have that. Having entrepreneurial parents, this was not a surprise to anybody. <laughs> and uh, I had full support. I think that for those that don't have that same level of support, it's hard for me to offer a whole lot of guidance because I haven't really been in that shoes. But I do know from friends who I've seen go through that, that sometimes it can just be a slower process. Sometimes you can't just pull the plug and quit your job and start and hit the ground running. And that's okay too. I think that everybody's journey looks a little bit different. And that's something that we need to embrace. And no matter what your background is and no matter what level of support you have or don't have, understanding that it's going to be, the journey is going to be a lot different than you expect is really critical. So managing those expectations there and also giving yourself some grace if you don't have that support to just take things a little bit slower and more measured steps. Choosing what to do is often one of the biggest barriers for somebody, again, who's feeling stuck or who is looking to make a change in their life or who has yeah. just recently left a professional athletic career. You chose content, Lexi. What yeah. You came from SEO. You're a marketing professional. Why did you decide to draw your circle around content? And then obviously ChatGPT shows up 12 months ago. Uh, and talk about the impact of how that has impacted your business. So con the reason that I chose content, I've always loved writing. I've always been a writer in my downtime when I used to have downtime before kids and business. I used to just write novels that will never be published. They were just for me. And it was the part of my job in an agency environment that I loved the most. I loved seeing how content really drives the message of a business and how it can be the catalyst for all those other metrics that we like to track in marketing, the conversion rate. So often we look at the things that are the closest to that conversion and we forget like the website, how is the website fast? Is it, all those things are important. Your SEO is super important, but the thing behind all of that is the content and your message and your brand's voice. In the, the agency that I was in before, we worked with hundreds of small businesses and I loved when I was able to really dive into that aspect of it, it just felt really magical to me to see how that all worked together. So I was very intentional when I started this agency that I'm only going to do the parts of marketing that I really like to do. And that's it. I don't ever want to get into a situation where I feel like, oh, I have to do this task. And so it was a very selfish reason. And that, that was pretty much it. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do when it came to marketing. That, but that's, isn't that the best attitude to have though? We often tell people, I, yeah. chase, go chase your passions, go chase what you love to do. And you said to yourself, I'm only doing this. If you want to hire me because I'm an expert in this, 
then I'm here to yeah. work for you. But if you want me to do that, nah, not that bad, not that good in it, but I'll do this for you and I'll be yeah. the best at it. Basically what you said to yourself and you said to- It's, it's what I said to myself. Yeah, absolutely. And what I said to the world, but that I had to learn, I didn't really learn that or really implement it fully until pretty recently, because as a new business, you're after that revenue. You want to make, you want to get that revenue going. You want to see things succeed. And so I, I was definitely guilty of some scope creep in the beginning of the agency where I was like, yeah, we can do that. And sure we can do that and we can do it well, but I would just dread sitting down to do it. And so it was something that I really just had to learn over the course of the last few years that no, it actually really is important to follow what feels good in your business, the things that you don't dread doing, because you're much more likely to be successful that way when you love what you do good work. You're seeing me squirm in here because the timing of you as a guest could not be more perfect. When I started the lab, the net was wide, a, a large wide cast, right? But then as you start spending some time in there, you start talking to people and you start trying things out, you start asking yourself, oh yeah, mm, oh yeah. And mm -hmm. it hasn't really been until recently where it was like, okay, we're really narrowing in. And you're probably, as a writer and as a marketing specialist, you're probably hearing even in my narrative where we're really trying to narrow our things down. And it has become really intriguing to me as I've worked my way back into the world here in the last uh, little while, as I ghosted for a while here in, in my life, how successful one can be when you pick a niche topic. Yes. Yeah. And just own something and own it outright. It's yeah. exceptionally fascinating to me, Lexi. It is. And, but I also think that we hear that advice. I'm going to challenge you a little bit here on this one, because yeah. we hear that advice a lot to niche down and to focus on that one thing and become known for that. But you know what? Some of us are multi-passionate. There are things that we want to explore that go beyond. And I, yeah, you're a well, perfect yeah, example of this. <laughs> I, I totally talked to you, but when I started the lab, there was a lot of things that were over there that I'm saying, hmm, I don't know, like, is that really, because my passions do are wide. So yeah, I and that's okay. And that's okay. And there, there's space for that. And I think that the key is learning how to create the space for that in your business and, and being okay with it. I think that, again, we're, we're always just told that we have to niche down, that we have to focus on that one thing. But I had a wall when I did that in my business. I was coming into this year in particular, really around this time last year, I started feeling a total lack of motivation in my business. And I was doing all the things that I love to do. I was blogging, I was ghostwriting, I was ghostwriting for people who are published in Forbes. I was having a blast with all of that. But I was lacking a certain aspect, like a certain sense of meaning or excitement in what I was doing. It became a little bit mundane. And so you have to give yourself permission to explore those other things as well and find ways to incorporate them into what you do. That's why I would say follow what feels good. That, that's the thing that's been my mantra for the last few months in my business. Follow what feels good. Doesn't mean that you're not gonna experience pain in your business and you're not gonna experience difficulty or challenges, mm -hmm. but when you follow what feels good, you're seeking alignment with the things that are of value to you and with your own values. And I think that's a recipe for success, honestly. So you opened the door for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to go in it with you, mm -hmm. which was this idea of being vulnerable. You were hating of being in the mundane. You were really stuck. What did you do? What did you have some private moments in the mirror? Did you talk to somebody? What helped you get out of the funk, Lexi? This is, this is funny to, to admit this. You mentioned chat GPT. That obviously flipped the, the content creation world on its head. 
And so we hit this moment when ChatGPT first came out. I had been playing around with, with AI content writers, writing assistants like Jasper. It was called Jarvis back then from the beginning. But when ChatGPT came out, it became like a big deal, right? And there was so much fear around it and so much just stress. Are, are they, is it going to replace copywriters? Is it going to, is my job going to be completely useless? Am I going to lose all my clients? I never took it that far in terms of the fear, but there was the sense of this is going to go so much faster than I can possibly understand. And so in that moment, I made the decision that I was going to lean into it instead of, you know, fearing it, keep your friends close to your enemies closer mm -hmm. in a way. <laughs> I didn't know if it was going to be my friend or my enemy, but I decided to keep it pretty close. And so I learned as much as I could about it. I started using it more, diving in. And I realized in that process that the true value of that tool is not necessarily in the content that it can produce, but in the way that it can act as a thought partner for you. Mm -hmm. And like setting aside all the ethical concerns, which I'm sure we can get into in a little bit, ChatGPT and these tools are an incredible sounding board. And so I sat down one night after feeling particularly stuck and started just talking to ChatGPT and saying, I'm feeling stuck in my business. I'm feeling out of alignment. I'm not sure that I'm serving the right people. I feel a lack of meaning in what I'm doing and like I'm not contributing positively to the world. Help me get unstuck. And ultimately, I wound up structuring something where I asked it to ask me 20 thought-provoking questions to get me to uh, explore what would bring meaning into the current framework that I operate in with my business. And that conversation continued after I answered those questions. And ultimately, it helped me find a way to incorporate all these things that I was excited about, like AI content creation, and also how to adjust my audience a little bit so that I could focus more on serving the people that I wanted to serve, and also incorporating messaging in my brands that spoke to the things that I care about, like mental health on social media and how to stay safe on social media, the impact that the internet and algorithms and social media has on our well-being, and especially for young girls as a mom of two young girls, that was really important to me. So I used it as a thought partner to redefine my brand in, in a lot of ways, and that's a process that's still ongoing. But it has brought so much joy back into my day-to-day -day work life. And it's part of the reason why I'm doing things like this, like speaking to you here, where before it was all the grind, so to speak, of copywriting. Mm -hmm. Now I'm giving myself permission to talk about the things that matter to me on podcasts like this, speaking at summits and things of that nature. And it's just been a joy. So that's, that was the path there of what shook me out of my funk, so to speak. <laughs> I can relate to that, Lexi. When I was introduced to ChatGPT at the same time you were, I came from the social media world. So I come from yeah. the world of, and we can probably have another podcast on that, actually. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I share so, people like, so how come you have no followers? You know why? Because I left social media seven years ago because I saw what it was doing to my kids. And yeah. I was like, nah, I don't like how I'm behaving. I don't want to see my kids. So anyway. Yep. Oh, that's that. Let's have another session on that someday. I, I think we should, actually. <laughs> it's think, a big one. But you talk about how it inspired, it took you out of your funk when you uncovered yeah. this new tool. I can relate. Mm -hmm. I discovered Jasper last October, about a year ago. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, what's this thing? And then yeah. I discovered GPT and then GPT-4. GPT-4 changed it for me because oh, I- Oh yeah, no, that's a game changer. Probably like yourself, it helped me create the Business Athlete Performance Lab. Like yeah. this has always been some of my passion and it was like, how do I make this into something? So probably like yourself, I sat down with it 
and started chatting with it. And mm -hmm. I have welcomed them, those tools, the GPT-4s, the pies, the clothes of the world, and I've embraced those tools. But you as a writer, as an expert in that space, taking those tools, embracing them, has clearly only increased your success as a writer, as a content creator. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It, I think that it was really instrumental in, first of all, helping the agency hit its first multiple six-figure milestone. We had gone from zero to six figures in six months when we started, and that was pre-AI, ChatGPT, and all that. But we stayed in that range for a while. And so when this came out and we started uh, being able to leverage it, we it, it took us to that next level. And the challenge was figuring out how to do it in a way that was scalable and sustainable and ethical because I, there's a lot of questions around the ethics of using AI to create content, especially for clients. And so one of the things that we focused on was transparency. That is a non-negotiable for us. If we have, if we're creating AI content for clients, they know about it and they've specifically opted into it. It just opened up a whole new pathway for us. And we took it a step further and we launched Marketing Mastery AI just a few months ago, actually, which is the training side of the agency where we work with other agencies and we work with other creators and marketers and freelancers to teach them these processes that we've used in our agency to achieve that growth and to do it in a way that's ethical and transparent and still produces high quality on-brand content. So it's given us a whole other pathway, again, all geared around doing something that I love to do, which is teaching as well. I love to mm -hmm. teach. I love to talk. I'm verbose. I love to talk and share things. <laughs> so this has given me an outlet for that as well. So it's been a real game changer for us. That's exceptional. Lexi, you, you've mentioned ethical a couple of times, and I've got a question for yeah. you. At mm -hmm. what point does it go from being ethical to have to being an expectation? And, and, and follow me here. We, we didn't question when somebody went from the typewriter to the word processor. We didn't question when somebody went from writing their pieces of writing their thoughts onto a pad of paper to now using a word processor and using Microsoft Word to correct words. And, and it, was, it became an expectation that, okay, Lexi, if you can't produce so many words per minute, you're not going to have a job right. for me. So I myself, frankly, am really confused around this question of ethics with AI-generated yeah. content because I'm like, why are you not using the tools? No, and I, I absolutely get what you're saying. I think what, when I talk about ethics in the context of an agency, it's about the transparency side of it. I have to recognize that we don't all feel the same way about ChatGPT. I'm all for it. I'm excited by it. Yeah, I'm a little fearful of the implication in the future of AI in general, but I recognize that learning about it and using it and getting familiar with that space is part of the process of becoming less fearful. But I have to recognize that not all my clients feel that way. And I have clients who are just absolutely not, you know, we're paying for you to write this, you know, the old fashioned way. And I have to respect that. Do I, does that mean that I might not sh shift the clients that I take moving forward to lean more heavily towards those that embrace AI? Absolutely. But I think the key there is in that transparency that people are at all different kinds of levels of comfort where it concerns AI. That said, I think it's going to be the expectation moving mm -hmm. forward. And if it's not overtly the expectation that you will use AI to create this content, the expectation of the speed and the quantity of content that a content creator can produce, the bar is going to be raised so high that we really don't have a choice, honestly. So in one way or another, it's going to be the status quo and we need to learn how to get a good result from it, how to get uh, quality content from it that's still authentic. Because that's one of the things that we're seeing right now is we're seeing a lot of content out there that's 
in the ever-changing world of digital marketing, things I call chat GPT-isms that just give away the fact that this is an unedited piece of chat GPT content. So we have to have that focus on, on quality as well. It's interesting, Lexia, as the world's been pivoting to chat GPT and to AI generated content, I decided to swim upstream and work with humans, right? Cause when, you know, you, yeah. I kind of reflect upon time. Eminem had Dr. Dre, Justin Timberlake has Timberland, Drake has, has 40, right? You notice that you didn't hear the great artist with AI. It was a great artist with great artists, right? So there's something to right. be said for that, right? But why don't we shift from AI? Okay. Your we other passion. So I know AI is a passion and horses is a passion. And I bring that up for a couple of reasons out of respect for time here, because I want to talk about this for a few moments. And then I want to talk more about the business athlete mentality. But you published an article on LinkedIn yesterday mm -hmm. in, in the essence of evergreen time. And the title was, and I loved it, three things my horse taught me about business. And, yes. and I'm just going to outline them and then I want you to go into them for me. So you said number one was don't quit in winter. And that struck mm -hmm. me where I live and winter is the last place you want to quit, especially here up in yeah. Canada. And especially in, in, when I think about my sport of growing up in hockey and athletics, you don't quit in winter. That's the last time you quit. Number two was you said the real competition is with yourself and the biggest wins happen outside the show ring. And then number three, you said uh, is controlling your mindset. Yeah. Share with our audience the perspective of this article if, if they have not read it yet. And I'd like you to talk about this article. Yeah, absolutely. So these are, there's so many ways that it's impacted my perspective on business and life. I'd say don't quit in the winter is always the one that comes to me first. And that's something, a rule that my mother laid down. <laughs> we used to live up in Pennsylvania, which is where I got my start riding and, and all that. And we had our horses up there and it gets really cold and icy and muddy and just not fun to be out in the elements dealing with these 1200, 1300 pound animals. And inevitably, I always would get to a point where I'd say, oh, why can't I just do like gymnastics or something like that? And keep in mind, I'm somebody who I'm pretty sure one of my first words was horse. There is my family was not involved in horses in any way. Um, in fact, my mom, when she started, she was when I started, she was terrified of horses. Um, so this is all I ever wanted in life, really. But it was so cold and miserable that I would always get to a point where I wanted to quit. And the rule that my mom made was. I'll support you in this sport, but you don't get to quit in winter. You only get to quit when it's spring or summer or fall. In other words, when it's nice out and you're not struggling through the mud, then you can actually analyze the situation and see, do you really want to quit? You can make that assessment then. And I think that's really important in business as well. I think that I've reached several points in my business where I've also felt stuck or I felt, you know what, it would just be so much easier to go work for somebody else and to be able to clock out and forget about it. Although knowing myself, I wouldn't be able to do that no matter what, but that's the illusion, right? When we're in the thick of it and you have to remind yourself of that same thing. No, things feel hard right now. I'm going to get through this hard and then I'm going to reassess. And you may still decide that once you get through this hard moment that you want to quit, but at least you've gotten through that hard moment and you know that it's not just the temporary pain of that hard moment making you want to quit. You know that you've reached a point where it's no longer for you and you need to change course. And so I think that's something that's been really impactful for me in my life. I'm very hard pressed to fall from a situation that's difficult just because it's difficult. I want to get through it. And there's a lesson there in the hard situation that you have to go through. And then you apply that to whatever path you take moving forward.
So that's Don't Quit in the Winter. Very quotable. Thank you to my mother. She, that, I've had that repeated and drilled into me so many times. And a lot like horses, your business needs to be nurtured, right? You probably have employees or contractors or people that rely on you, let alone your clients in the same way that horses still need to be fed when it's cold and icy. You need to go out there early in the morning and get up on the weekends and do the work that needs to be done because these are living animals. They're living things that depend on you and it's your job to, to take care of them. So I think the same thing can be said for your business, especially if you are in a situation where you have employees. Doesn't mean never quit, just means get through the hard moment and then decide. So that's, yeah, that's don't quit in the winter. The next one was, I believe that the real competition is with yourself. This is a big one. Mm -hmm. I mentioned in the article that the type of writing that I've done was hunter jumper stuff. So it's the kind of thing where if you're at a really big competition, there's rock stars, kids there and actual princes of places and things like that. And I think you have to remember that there's always going to be someone richer, more talented, more successful with a, more, with a fancier horse than you. That's never going to change. And that's true, except for maybe the horse part in pretty much every other aspect of your life, including business. There's always someone who's farther along on their journey or is privileged in a different way than you are or has less barriers to entry to certain things. But you have to remember that when you're at a competition, it's not truly like the competition happens before you even get to the show. The, the things that are the most meaningful wins are those little things that you tackle at home. The breakthroughs that you make in how you manage your business, the, the ways that you push through and do things that you never thought you could do. Um, those are the biggest wins to me. And I think a lot of equestrians have this mentality and possibly in other sports too, that when you go into that competition, all you want is to do better than the last time. Your only job is to go into that ring and try to do better than you did last time. I think this is really more prevalent in equestrian sports because you're dealing with a close to one ton animal with a mind of its own and a really strong prey, prey drive, basically. So you have to keep your expectations in check and uh, chase those little goals that ultimately will amount to larger goals. That one has been really impactful for me, especially working in social media. It is so easy in social media to compare yourself to everybody. And when you look at the stats behind the negative impact on, especially women and, and young girls, the impact of social media and the filters and the way that we present this polished look at a life that's not actually real. Look, I, I've been in social media since social media was a thing. And even I get caught up in it. There were times when I was doing a lot of engagement for my clients on Instagram and I felt my mental health tanking because just even though I'm aware that these are filters and that not everybody looks like this and that their house isn't always this perfect and that their life isn't always this aesthetic, I'm aware of that on a logical basis, but subconsciously it sinks in and you start to compare. And so I have to go take myself back to that same mentality from when I was competing in, in the equestrian world that you are competing with yourself. C comparison is a killer. It's one of the most dangerous things that you can do, I think, in life and business, because you are not where they are. They have different gifts and different challenges and a different path than you do. So it's, to me, that's a super, super important one, especially if you're working in social media to avoid that trap of comparison. On the flip side to that, I think it's also important to make sure that your presence on social media is not contributing to that 
that we try to focus uh, more on authentic content and um, that we're not adding to the problem. I'm not saying filters are a problem, but let's be transparent about it. I'm not saying don't take static pictures of your home or office. I, I certainly do. Let's show the reality alongside it so that we can start to end this cycle presenting the perfect picture to everybody. That's a, a, a pet project of mine <laughs> these last couple of months. So, you yeah. Say, you say in the article linked very much, I think, to the second one, which is the real competition is with yourself. And I listen, mm -hmm. Lexi, I'll put that hand up that I still have. I call it your own mirror. I still compete with my own mirror and these little people on my shoulders, which links to number three, half the work is controlling your mindset, yes. right? So when you're out there trying to build a bit, and let's be, let's face it, Lexi, in today's world to build a business, you got to build a media company. You need to have distribution, you need to have content, you need to be in front of people. So when you do that, you're okay, so what's Lexi doing? What's Joe doing? What's Steve doing? And quickly before you knew it, you're comparing yourself to the Joneses and it's keep up with the Joneses isms, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, you quickly just need to recognize that, no, don't pay attention to anybody else. Just focus on yourself and your own competition and bettering your own time and, and you and the horse will, will be okay. It's very difficult to do. It's something that, and this is probably the one that I've struggled the most with, truthfully, even in, in, in writing as well as in business, because as I got older, and especially after I had kids, it became a very fearful thing for a while for me to ride because Imagine. it is a dangerous sport. And so I, I always have that at the front of, at the forefront of my mind to the point where I stopped riding for a long time because I was so fearful back into it. But I think the thing is that you do learn truly what it means like mind over matter or the power of your mind when you're riding horses, because you can see so clearly from one moment to the next, when you lose control of your mind and you lose control of your own fear response, how quickly that translates to the horse. And I think that's an energetic thing. It's something that applies even beyond horse sports. When you are primed for fear, mm -hmm. that is going to paralyze you, or it's going to cause you to mess up in a way that can be devastating to you. That said, it's natural to feel that fear. Of course, it's natural when you're riding such a large animal over these big obstacles that it thinks everything's out to kill it. It's natural to feel fear. And there's a, there's a healthy level of that. But the, the key is to learn to operate despite the fear and to find a place of calm focus so that you can redirect your mind effectively. It's something that I struggle with a lot, but it's something that I'm working on constantly. And I think that applies to business in the sense that when you're starting your own business, especially when you're in the beginning stages or when you're in a stage of really any stage, but the beginning stages and then when you're scaling and you're having to make a lot of changes that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, it's so easy to get wrapped up in that fear of something going wrong. Am I making the right decision? Am I going to lose it all? And you're not going to be in a good mental place to make solid decisions if you're making those decisions from the space of, a, of fear. So I think being really intentional about that and the same can be said for the fear of missing out, that can be a real tangible fear for a lot of business owners that I have to go chase this thing. I have to go dive into AI right now because that's what everyone's telling me to do. And if I don't, I'm going to miss out on it. No, let's take a step back and let's get to a place of calm. Let's go back to your mission, go back to your audience. Who are you wanting to serve? What is your, what, what is the path that you have set for yourself? Is that path still in alignment with where you are? Then you don't have to go chase all the things and, and worry about the fear of missing out, the FOMO and all of that. So it's just coming back to that place where you can look at things clearly so that you can make effective decisions. Lexi, talk to me about the skill 
required to ride and manage a horse. Now, just go with me here. You need to have mental skill. You need to have endurance. You need to have strength. You need to have flexibility Mm -hmm. and agility. You need to be mentally Mm -hmm. strong. What do you Mm -hmm. do on a daily basis to take care of Lexi so that you can go effectively enjoy and manage and ride and ride equestrian? Yeah, I really do think that the biggest part of that is going to be in your head. That's probably the hardest thing to accomplish is to, especially if you're someone who's prone to feeling a certain level of fear. But in terms of everything else, it really is just like any athlete. We have to take care of our bodies. We have to take care of our health. We have to stay strong. Your core strength is important. All those are things that I'm actively working on. I've been out of it for a while and I'm trying to get back into it. So it's, I'm in that journey right now of trying to get myself back into a better space physically where I, or I can do those things. But there's this perception that all oh, the horse does all the work. Equestrians hear that all the time. My husband likes to tease me about that, even though he knows better. But that is so far from the truth because staying out of a horse's way and staying balanced and uh, being able to give the exceptionally subtle aids that you need to give a horse to have it do the things that it needs to do requires a lot of control over your body. And that's something that can be trained. You, you can train for that out off the back of a horse. That was not something that was very prevalent when I was growing up or when I was competing before, but I'm so happy to see this being treated more like the sport that it is in the way people train even off the horse now for their competitions and for the, their careers. You start, we start seeing influencers popping up that are about nutrition for equestrians and fitness for equestrians. And again, just like any sport, it, it takes both the mental side and the physical side. I guess the debate lives on, Lexi, whether equestrian or NASCAR racing are both sports, right? What's doing the work? Is it the car or is it the horse or is it the driver? I have my opinion. I think they're both sports. I, I do. I'm a race car fan. I'm a, I like equestrian and horse racing. I find it fascinating the mental fortitude that would take to have success on a horse. And, 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 beca- and I say that because to have success at anything, to gain confidence in anything, you have to do something repeatedly over and over. Then you get yes. confidence. So getting on a horse and overcoming fear over and over repeatedly gains confidence. That's like running a business. You have to be willing and open to trying something over and over and, yeah. and overcoming that fear, don't you, Lexi? You have to expose yourself to that fear, first of all, to be able to learn to not necessarily overcome it. I don't want to say that anybody, maybe there are people who feel no fear when they ride, but Mm. certainly I'm not somebody who will ever truly overcome that fear of the what if. But I have gotten really good at the point of where, when I get on that horse, I don't, I'm not thinking about anything else Mm. other than that horse. I might feel anxiety all the way up to the moment that I'm sitting on that horse's back. But the second that I'm on that horse's back, I have trained myself to hone in on that horse and what the task at hand is, which is very therapeutic, by the way. So it's it, it has all kinds of applications outside of the actual sport itself. Lexi, I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Before we work towards saying goodbye, Is there anything that you would like to offer up to the audience that I have not asked you about or we have not spoken about or you're like, oh, hey, I think we should talk about this. Right now is the the opportunity to give you the floor to say, hey, what about this? What about this? And and give you a platform to speak about about your business, about what uh, other things you want to bring onto the table right now. Yeah, I think that just a couple of things that I was thinking about prior to us going live here 
in along the lines of speaking to other entrepreneurs and those who might be considering, do I want to go down this path? And one of the things that we see so often and that we experience so often as entrepreneurs or people who take this leap is the imposter syndrome, the sense of, yeah, we, I think we've all gone through it, but there's this perception that we all are just like going into this completely confidently. And so the thing that I want people to take away from that is that one of the biggest superpowers you can have when you're launching your business or going into this is a community, a community of people who are doing the same things that you're doing. I thought that I could operate in a bubble for a long time. And it wasn't until about a year or so ago that I really started intentionally surrounding myself with other agency owners and other people who are doing and achieving the things that I want to do and achieve. And it has been the absolute key for me to overcoming that sense of imposter syndrome and this idea that you have to, that you're born to this, right? There's this perception because I was raised by entrepreneurs that this was just inevitable for me. And in a way that's, there's, I was, I benefited from that and it did make the path a little bit easier, but there were still those challenges of, am I good enough? Who am I to be out here speaking about entrepreneurship? Like I, even sitting here right now, as far as my business has come, I don't feel like it's anywhere near where I want it to be. And I feel, I question myself all the time. So I just want people to know that that's a normal part of it. And surrounding yourself with a community of people who are doing what you're doing and who are achieving the things that you want to achieve is the way to tackle that, is the way to conquer it. It helps you orient yourself to the reality of what you're trying to do. I don't know. I would have probably lost my mind if I didn't have my group of agency owners that I, I talk with pretty much, we pretty much talk almost every day on Slack at this point, but they have helped me so much because I can see the path that they've taken and I can measure where I am and see the steps that they've taken. So having that sounding board is so critical. So I would just encourage people who are struggling with that decision to involve themselves in those communities and don't try to do it alone, especially if you don't have that support at home or from your family that I was so lucky to have. Sometimes in sport, we have to go to overtime. And so today we're going to go a little bit into overtime because this is a topic. I'm, I'm just going to have my water and we're good. Yeah, Hydrate. This, this is a topic that I think a lot of people still struggle with. And yeah. to this day, I do. Now, heck, I'm in my 50s and I still ask myself, who the, am I? Who am I? Who am yeah. I? This guy out here telling my experiences and sharing my wisdoms and so forth. And then you start yeah. meeting people and they're like, yeah, but I want to hear about that. But Alexi, the greatest thing that, yeah. that I, I, that's hyperbole. One of the most wonderful things I've experienced over the last six weeks has been all the individuals I have met on this show that I've learned yeah. from and have helped me, me, myself, overcome my own imposter syndrome. That, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. Hey, I- You're great, You're great at this, by the way. Thank you. And I, th <laughs> I, appreciate I appreciate that. And, and I, but it's because I got great guests. It's a great conversation. We're just having a good conversation. But I will tell you, I'll be very honest with you in the audience, my audience, from when I started the lab to now, my, my vulnerability, my, my walls were up. I was like, I felt like I was nobody. And talk about those similar emotions that I'm sure you have had, Lexi, or people you have known that have had those. And what's your advice to that? My advice was just get to work, try, just keep yeah. trying over and over yeah. and, and keep, keep failing and keep getting up again. 
Yeah, it, it's, it is a huge challenge. And that voice is more prevalent for some than others. But for me, it, it's a huge issue. I am absolutely one of those people that no matter what I've achieved, I tell myself, why am I here? Why are people wanting to talk to me? It's so strange. I'm speaking at four AI summits this month and next month. And some of them are alongside some of the people that I've been following for years. And to see my name next to theirs and being called an AI copywriting expert, I'm just like, how did this happen? Who am I to be talking about this? But again, I think that just like in marketing and when we're executing a social media or a content plan or something like that, we have to pay attention to the metrics. And in this case, your audience is the metric that you need to be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. If you're speaking and you have something to say and you're brave enough to go out and say it and you have an audience there who's listening, let take that as feedback that what you are what, what you have to say is worthy. It's worth it. And to try to silence that voice a little bit, that has been a huge battle for me, especially um, in the last few months where I've really started to ramp up getting out there and talking and being a little bit more authentic um, with presenting myself on the internet, because it can be scary. It's very scary. I'm somebody who, to, speaking vulnerably, I like to control how I'm perceived in a lot of ways. That's my default. And for example, I recently had a, a photo shoot to do branding photos because we're with all the summits and the podcasts and things like that. I need to, I'm trying to become a little bit more of a personal brand or be a little bit more present on my channels. And I intentionally worked with a branding agency that did not retouch photos, which was terrifying to me. <laughs> Alexi a year ago would never, ever have done that. But I got to a point where I was so tired of that voice saying, you know, you as you are, you're not good enough. That it was almost like giving the finger to that voice. You're a mom with two daughters. And exactly. Like what am I, what message am I sending to my kids if I'm, you know, doing the thing that, you know, is going to harm them in the end, which is presenting an inauthentic like view into my world or who I am. And who am I to talk about authenticity, which does mean so much to me if I'm not being authentic and if I'm not embracing myself, I can't tell my kids you're perfect the way that you are. And I love you the way that you are. If I don't treat myself the same way mm -hmm. and I get I a little choked up with that, but it's a big thing. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing that vulnerability. I would suggest to you, Lexi, that you're heading into the best part of your life in your career, right? These experiences this wisdom you have, this awareness you clearly have and all that is worth something to somebody. And I'm telling you that because I've had to tell myself that as well. And yeah. I recognize that, okay, yeah, people do want to hear from you and they do want to hear from me. It's funny. I've, been, I've recently started working with a collaborator and she says to me over the weekend, where was that guy from that article a few months ago? Why did you become so sanitized? And I was like, oh, because I thought that's what people wanted. And the reality right. was, no, the more authentic that I am, the more who I am, what got yeah. me to dance originally is what I'm going to continue to be. And then more people start tuning in and talking to you. And to your point as well, it's okay, just keep being yourself, Lexi. And those experiences are worth something to somebody. And you, you feel that sense of alignment when you do finally take those steps. And I'm in the thick of it right now, but I've already had that experience of getting those photos back and coming to terms with them and release, starting to release them and feeling so much more free in that. Yes. And it really has, I've noticed the voice. I was just telling uh, my mother this the other day, I've noticed that negative voice in my head that would tell me you're not good enough or nobody wants to hear from you or you don't look like so-and-so. Why are you up there talking about such and such a thing? That voice has shifted to, oh, I like what I said there. 
or, oh, hey, I'm proud of how I handled that. Like, it's just been these subtle shifts. And so sometimes pushing through that negative self-talk, that stuff that we do to ourselves, that imposter syndrome makes it go away and it, it helps you tackle it. Has it been nice to see, you, you talk about the, the imagery and you feeling comfortable with bringing those to light and so forth. Has it not been nice to see Pam Anderson come back into the world in a very raw, natural, no makeup, here's who I am persona, right? Taking control of her. I'm going to offer opinion here, right? She, she took control of herself and said, here's who I am. And her kids are like, mom, just be yourself. She stripped her makeup off and just has come yeah. out as a free woman. And I can only imagine how freeing that has been for her as a woman, Lexi. It, absolutely. And I'm here for it whenever somebody does that, man, woman, it, it, it doesn't matter. I'm absolutely here for it when somebody makes that decision to present themselves authentically. And I know how hard it can be, but it is very freeing. And, you know, that can look so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times we think that, oh, it's a woman who, you know, she, she stripped her makeup off. And it's so brave to do that in this world because, you know, the comments that they're receiving on their channels and that they have to deal with that, that, that negativity and that feedback that they get, can we tend to latch on to those things as humans quicker than we do if we're receiving positive feedback. But it's also true for somebody who decides to express themselves in in the most authentic way. They change their style. They wear clothes that they wouldn't have dared to wear before because they've just decided they're tired of trying to fit into what people think they should be or what somebody of their body type should be. Mm. So it, that, that freedom and that decision to be authentic looks so many different ways. So yes, I'm absolutely here for that, for Pam Anderson and anybody who decides to take a step in the direction of the authentic. I'll tell you where I found it freeing, Lexi, and this maybe came with age, was recognizing that actually nobody cares. That your biggest fear is your own mirror, that really nobody cares that if anything, they're silently going, yeah, good for you for trying. But, you know, instead of beating yourself up for trying because somebody's going to care, actually, no, most people don't care. Just go ahead and try. Yeah. It's ironic because that's, uh, in a lot of ways, that's the reason that so many businesses that are great ideas don't get off the ground. People are afraid to be vocal about it. They're afraid. They're often told, oh, don't tell anyone what you're doing until you've reached a certain level of success. And in some cases, that's wise. If you have a new initiative that needs to be kept under wraps for a while, that's fine. But if your motivation for doing that is fear of how you're going to be perceived by your family and your friends and your audience, and you're staying quiet about this thing that you're building, it's not setting you up for success in any way. You have to be willing to, God knows I've done it so many times. I've started something and I've talked about it and it was going to be the big thing. And like a month or two later, it's, oh, I changed direction. So what? Nobody cares. But at least I was talking about it. And that's practice. It's practice getting in front of a camera or publishing on social media or writing about what you're doing. It's beneficial in so many ways. So don't be afraid to launch that into the world and to (laughs) to actually talk about it for fear of failure. For fear of failure. Nobody cares how many times you failed. Nobody does care. Lexi Hartman, thanks for joining me today live in the lab. I hope you'll come back again. I absolutely will. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And we definitely are going to dig into the social media discussion. I think all these great guests we're having into the lab, I think at one point we'll have a round table, have some great discussions and debate, go back and forth. Fabulous. We certainly need to get into some uh, discussions around social media, how AI is going to influence social media. We have an election coming up in 12 months in the United States. Yeah. What does the election look like in four years from now, Lexi, when AI is very much generating more content than anything? All those fascinating yeah. questions I would love to dig into one time. Absolutely. I would love to be here for that. 
Awesome. So I'm going to put you into the green room for a second and I'm going to flip on over to this camera over here and I'll come back to you in a second while I say goodbye to the, the audience. How does that sound? Sounds great. Thanks so awesome. much. Thanks, Lexi. One second over there. We're going to go over here. We're going to go right there and then I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this out. We're going to try to do this on the fly here. Let's see here if this works for us. It ain't working. Nope, that ain't working either. But I think what I do have is it's because that camera died. You got Keith here live in the lab, live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab, wrapping up a Monday show with Lexi Hartman. If you're just tuning in now, really, you missed the whole hour. If you're just tuning in now, go back to the beginning. We hear how we kicked it off, new little intro, and then we went into some great discussion with Lexi about some vulnerable chat, running a business, running a content business, casting too wide of the net when you're starting a business. A lot of great nuggets in today's show. I'm Keith. I'm live in the lab, live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab. We go much for anybody else around the world who's not living in the central time zone. You'll find me here on YouTube. You'll find us on LinkedIn, on X. You'll find us all over the place. If you're a retired athlete, you're a business guy, you're stuck, this is the place for you. I'm Keith. I'm live in the lab. I'll see you tomorrow.